This is Music Mentality with Angie. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm Angie, she, her pronouns, and today we've got Will, he, him pronouns. Let me tell you guys, this week's episode is an intense one. Will is such a cool person, he's both an artist and a producer, and today he's here to share his journey with throat cancer and what it means to have lost his voice for months. We talk about opioids and their effect on his mental health and music life. Alongside this, we also touch on the power of being a good listener, what it's like to teach music, and above everything else, how art heals our pain. Will is such a down-to-earth, loving person who has gone through so much, and today he's here to teach us how to rise from what we think are our ashes. He makes his music live on Twitch, and you can also find it on SoundCloud and Audius. Just search up his name as written on this episode. Hi! Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Not too bad. So, you're an artist and a producer. Right? I identify as both. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like to do more? Non-binary. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say that the producing has come later, and that's like more of a, a necessity out of all the other things that I was learning to do, which was songwriting and multi-instrumentalism and singing and all that stuff. I was like, I need to record myself. Otherwise, I'm never going to be able to jam with all these things that I can do. <laughs> I get that. Um, but what's been your favorite instrument to play? Like, what do you like to, out of all the jobs that you've done in terms of music and all of the instruments that you've played, is there one that you always go back to? Well, I studied saxophone. So like, that one's kind of close to my heart. And uh, it was probably the, the last one that I picked up seriously. And then I've picked up a bunch of instruments since. Um, but I was playing a lot of piano um, from a very early age. So started with that and then went over to guitar. I think I was 10 years old when I started playing guitar. Uh, and, you know, those instruments have like harmony, you know, that you got to play mm -hmm. like multiple notes and like, there's lots of things going on all the time with those instruments. And then somebody in grade nine handed me a saxophone. is like, Hey, do you want to be in the band? And I was like, <laughs> well, what is this thing? Like, it's really easy. It just plays one note at a time and you're mostly going to be playing whole notes. Like, God, it's so simple. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but I really liked the sound of it. I don't know, it was very expressive compared to like the piano, which is kind of a sterile, very glassy, even and perfect instrument. The saxophone has so much imperfection. Oh my God. Yeah, I love the sax. I wish I could play. I can, I've never even touched one before. So honestly- All the notes in between the notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It definitely has like a lot of flexibility. Honestly, like 
I don't listen to many songs with saxophone in it, but I do know that like in modern day music, a lot of pop music has saxophone. A lot of different genres have saxophone in it. And it's like, it's a hard instrument to make work. But at the same time, it's like one of the most beautiful ones to make work, at least in my opinion. <laughs> it's it's one of the closest sound profiles to the human voice, which is kind of really Yeah. Um, cool. It's also like way more modern than most of the other wind instruments, which were invented in like the 16, 1700s. And then the saxophones in like the early 1900s, the industrial mm-hmm. revolution. And it's like their attempt at creating the perfect instrument. So uh, I tell it to like some of my students all the time. It's like, if you're going to choose an instrument for the band, choose the saxophone. It's like hundreds <laughs> of years newer and way easier than all these other ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Good one. Good, good one to keep in mind. I don't, again, I teach piano. So that is not something I tell my students. But <laughs> um, What about singing? Uh, so singing is like, it's always been something that I've done. And I used to act in musicals and stuff like when I was a kid. Um, to the point where I was teased. I was also playing like rep hockey and the the little, you know, kids. They're, they're teased me for like, you know, going and, and singing and dancing and doing stuff in a musical instead of going to the hockey tournament, which is interesting, but it's what it is. <laughs> but it's, so I've been singing for a long time and uh, lost my voice in my mid twenties. I was signed singer in a band. I was doing really, really well. Uh, dropped from my label, which was kind of no fun, kind of, had to reevaluate my personality and who I was and my identity, which is mm. something tough to to kind of go through a metamorphosis of sorts. Yeah, that's um, that's really tough. That's like identity crisis for sure. Yeah, hundred like, percent. What do you do now? It was a, it was a huge yeah. part of who I was, um, and then you know, but everything has like an upside. Is like I couldn't sing for mm. five years. And it's only been recently that I've got my voice back to the point where I can actually sing and hit notes and sustain stuff without it like jumping and crackling and being uncontrollable. Mm. Um, so that it's been really fun to, to re-explore that side of my music making because I turned into the the guy in the back, you know, the the producer, the person who's helping coach and mentor some of the younger artists out there. Mm-hmm. And Part how far? My students. Oh, wow! Nice. Yeah. That's very. That's really cool. How long were you singing before you developed vocal cord cancer? Uh, so I started singing. I think I have the first recording of me singing at a piano recital as I was learning, uh, can you feel the love tonight oh. to, to play? I think I was like six or seven. <laughs> that movie was just coming out and, you know, being a nineties kid, it was my favorite movie as mm-hmm. most nineties kids was like, you know, Lion King <laughs> classic. <laughs> <laughs> Honest, no, I still, I think kids still like it today. No, <laughs> it's still, it's still a classic. It's great. I actually watched the, the, the live action Disney. I was like, this is not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. No, it's not, it's not the, the same, same movie. No, um, definitely not. But I not. do want to dive deeper into how you're feeling during your vocal cord cancer. I mean, again, that's like an identity crisis and something that I imagine really threw a wedge between you and your career, given that like, I assume music and singing was kind of everything you knew. So what was the hardest part about all that? Yeah, so actually, funny enough, the hardest part of cancer wasn't like, you know, losing my voice or who I was or anything. It was like getting off of opiates, the, mm. the excessive amounts of <laughs> uh, painkillers that I was on on a daily basis to get through the experience was was very, very hard to stop. And there was very little support mechanisms in place mm. here in Canada to to help you ease off that kind of addictive substance. Yeah, that I was, know. That was really tough. I remember going through like an opioid crisis at one point, not me, but like 
there was an entire epidemic of folks who were uh, addicted to opioids, which is like such a huge thing. Like I know one of my best friends, um, she had to take opioids for when she broke her collarbone. And that was like really difficult to get off of as well. So you kind of like build this addiction to a drug that you quite literally act like you need. Yeah. And this was like, so like broken collarbone would, would suck too. That's like six weeks of, of, opiates but this was like four months and like yeah that's heavy, a lot heavy heavy dosages uh, i don't know if you've ever had like a blister on your hand or anything like that um but essentially <laughs> like i was coughing up these giant chunks of skin out of my throat oh my god and, <laughs> and i couldn't swallow water without it just burning excruciating pain so like that was that was hard and i definitely took the drugs when i had them <laughs> like yes yes down the hatch i need it otherwise i'm not eating today that's tough oh my god i'm so sorry i can't I'm so sorry. Okay. It's, uh, it's part of, it's in the past now. We can, we can move on and learn from the pain. Absolutely. And I definitely, definitely try and, and take some of the stuff I've learned from that experience and, and use it yeah. in my day-to-day life and in my music as well. Um, but day-to-day life, like just definitely don't waste it and, you know, cause everything can change in an instant. Yeah. Do you have any music that, or, I mean, okay, again, personally for me, and I think I talk about this on like almost every podcast episode, but I always used music as my anchor, something that I always came back around to and I was feeling upset. I sat down on my piano and I was like, I'm upset (laughs) and vice versa when I'm happy. So I imagine, is that something that you did when you were going through? For sure. Yeah. Music's like this amazing empathetic energy, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, no matter how you're feeling, you can either compose or listen to a song that's feeling the same thing. And that's kind of like something really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Is that if you listen to like, if you're in a happy mood and you listen to an angry song, it's like, it almost like makes you angry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't want to listen to this. I was in a good mood. Why is this thing bringing me down? <laughs> but if you listen to a, you know, a similarly mooded song, a similarly vibed song, it's mm-hmm. going to amplify that feeling for you. Yeah. It, it kind of resonates. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Like, uh, again, I love punk music. I love angry music. And when I'm happy, I listen to angry music. And then all of a sudden, I'm not happy anymore. And I'm like, why aren't I happy anymore? What's going on? (laughs) The music's infectious. (laughs) Exactly. But at the same time, I love listening to sad music when I am sad because Mm -hmm. on one hand, it gets you. Yeah. (laughs) And like the crying, it's cathartic, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%. Um, A couple weeks ago, I I had my, had a little bit of a health scare with my, one of my family members, my cousin. He's, uh, he's living out in Vancouver, and um, I decided to write a song tackling mental health. I hadn't really done that in my, my song a week series to date. Mm-hmm. So if you guys don't know, I, uh, I make a song a week on Twitch, and that's my creative process. And we, we kind of dive into the process of making a song from beginning to end, as opposed to um, emphasizing the final product, which is mm-hmm. most of most people's musical process, right? It's mm-hmm. like they're writing a song, they're practicing, they're doing all the stuff for the end product. And that kind of puts undue stress on it. You know, it oh, has yeah. to be something that it doesn't have to be because you're, you're trying to make it fit this final product. But by really examining the process, you can get a little bit deeper uh, and also like shed some of the ego associated with composing and writing and producing music, which is great. Yeah. And it, and it gives people a digestible way to see the process because maybe people don't know. Like people are watching me auto-tune my vocals and they're like, is everybody doing this? It's like, everybody's doing this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's no also idea. why like artists sound so different performing live than they would exactly. on... Unrealistic yeah. expectations. 
Yes, that's one of the things I wanted to touch on. I want to touch on like the music making process and the final product because that's what most people hear the final product and they're like, oh my God, like this is so perfect. They make it seem so easy. Like, why can't I do this? Even like, I know a lot of people, um, a lot of the people that I know are kind of starting up with GarageBand and like trying to dabble on there. And there's a lot that I'm still learning about GarageBand, which is kind of like my main platform that I use. Um, But I recently like, went through music from when I was 13 years old and oh my god like I remember where I started and where I am now and it's crazy to see the progress and it's been like 100%. I think it was 12 when I st- when it started sorry not 13 but like 10 years later and I'm here thinking that oh my god I still don't know how to use it properly meanwhile like there has been progress but it's 10 years worth of progress right exactly <laughs> and, it, and it's practice right it's like you need to practice making music the the music making process you need to practice that process the same Mm -hmm. way that you sit down and you practice the music learning process you know it's Mm -hmm. like i start by crunching the notes and then i got to figure out the rhythms a little bit more accurately slow it down you know slowly speed it up but like there's the same process going into learning a song as going into making a song and you have to practice it otherwise you can get lost in certain parts of of making a track yeah, it's a really slow process. It's definitely a learning curve, and I think it, the curve never ends. <laughs> yeah, and I do it really fast. So, like, part of part of what my show is is like a speed run of a song mm-hmm. um, to make it entertaining for people who might not be producers or musicians. Because I don't want my audience just to be music producers. You know, I right. want I want it to be some other people too, hobbyists and and other people. But it makes it very digestible to see the entire song get created in ten hours, as opposed to like two or three weeks or a month or two you know that's true that's really true but digestible even though the the couple of months one i mean i think that's where most of us start if i'm not wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but yeah i mean that's really interesting because do you do you sing today or no i do yeah so i I am singing on those songs and uh the one i wrote about my cousin was was tackling addiction and uh he od'd he's fine but um like it was scary for us for a while and and Mm kind of brought back some things from me exiting cancer treatment with a, with a mental scar, some PTSD. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I could imagine that's like, you've gone through a lot in your life and you say the hardest thing was the addiction for sure. I, I like, I personally can't imagine, but I definitely empathize with that. Um, can you dive a little bit more into it? Like, how did you deal with the addiction? Um, is it something that's still a part of your life today? Like, is it an ongoing yeah. process? Yeah, I've, I've, been seeing some some therapists and i think everybody should definitely see therapists it's like one of the greatest things it's you know a mechanic for your mind and your mind kind of matters a lot so Mm -hmm. you know take care of it and make sure that's tuned up and and working properly on the day-to-day um so some of the things that i was dealing with out of there uh from the addiction um stemming from that uh i was i had a fear of doctors a phobia of doctors for a while and i didn't trust them and or they had my best interest at heart Mm-hmm. Uh, going through going through the cancer experience um, was interesting because I had to make some really hard choices. So uh, I remember getting confronted with like three or four doctors in a room, being like, "You have cancer. Your treatment starts in a couple of days. You have a couple options." And there was a radiologist and a surgeon and a couple other doctors in the room, and uh, they're all advocating for their their um, treatment. So you know, one of them wanted just to remove my voice box. I was like, "That's not happening." <laughs> I'm in my early 20s and I'm I just identified as a singer up until like 4 or 5 days ago. <laughs> oh my god. 
So you're not taking my voice, my vocal box. That's not happened. My voice box stays in me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the other one was radiation. And, and so I opted for that one uh, mixed with a little bit of a laser surgery. So instead of removing the whole, the whole voice box, they just removed a part of the vocal cord and then treated the rest with radiation. And throughout it all, like, I assume you weren't really able to use your voice much, right? No, I had to stay silent for four months. I was using Siri to talk for me. That's insane. Oh my yeah. God. That must have been so hard. So after those four months were came to an end and you were able to talk and now you're able to sing again. Oh my God. That must have been so like, yes, I can't even imagine slow. the feeling. It took a, a, it took like voice therapy and, and like I had to like basically rehabilitate my voice just to even talk. It's a lot different now. It's a lot lower than it used to be. I used to have a, a normal sounding voice and now I sound like I'm a huge man, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I like your voice. It's a lot lower than it used to be for sure. Yeah. How was um, that? that was, how, how was that adjustment? Because I mean, like with your singing career, you probably got used to how one voice sounds and then it's like mm -hmm. you, you work on that voice, you develop that voice so that you can like sing properly and now now like you gotta work with an entirely new voice to do profile essentially that, yeah, that's that's exactly. difficult very very hard um so i don't know most piano players that i know who started at a, a young age like like yourself develop some some pretty good pitch skills mm -hmm. in the mind because you're exposed to the very in tune notes spread across and uh, across visually and mm -hmm. uh so you get like a lot of not perfect pitch, but like very good relative pitch or, or something along the kin. So I was, I was very good at hearing notes before mm. because of things like piano. And I know where, where the note is in my mind, <laughs> but it doesn't come out of my face. <laughs> and I don't know what, it's slowly getting better though. Like I'm getting more and more accurate with my voice as, as I'm starting to sing it again. I think my, my synapses are retraining. Uh, but when I was first starting, I was trying to hit notes. I would squeak, it would throw, it would sound like I was going through puberty all over again. It was just <laughs> like, my voice did not want to do what my mind wanted it to do. Yeah. And so I just stopped singing for a while. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. What are you yeah. Okay. I assume like you continue playing instruments and stuff like piano. So this, is when I, this is when I started to learn how to produce and I started DJing mm -hmm. and I started doing all this other computer end stuff. Cause I had all this theoretical knowledge from going to music school for sax mm -hmm. and I started playing in other people's bands. I started like being a keys player in a band and being a guitarist instead of the front man. Oh and my that God. That was really fun. That is so but inspiring. Was, yeah. So you just find you do different, you know, when you can't do the thing, it's like you find other stuff. I also found rock climbing, which had nothing to do with music, but I saw music in That's it. That's cool. Yeah. So like all, Wait, the, all the rock climbing holds are like notes and you have to complete the, the sequence from beginning to end. And some of them you articulate different ways. You got to hold them with different styles of hand. Some you hold longer because it's a good rest and some you move on really quickly because they suck. So it's like, to me, I saw notes and music in the rock climbing process and, but it's because I had a music mind. Yeah. And so I was trying to learn these new skills and I was like, well, okay, I know a little bit about how this works. I got to practice and I got to train and, you know, I know how to do the thing because I know how to do music. You got to stay focused and flow. And like, there's a lot of similarities. That is so cool. I love that because one of the things I tell all my students is there is literally music everywhere you look, even if you don't hear yeah. it, there is music there. I don't yeah. even like the word noise. Like there's no noise. It's all music. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's really music, inspiring. Yeah, music is the architecture of noise. One of my professors said that, and I really liked it. I wrote it down. One of the very few things I wrote down in university. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, 
what I tell you, I understand that. I understand that at my core. <laughs> um, that is, I really like that quote. I'm, gonna, I'm yeah, definitely right. going to quote your professor on that. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's amazing because a lot of the times when we have something that, you know, again, for a singer, vocal cord cancer is probably the it's last thing anyone, yeah, like yeah. any other cancer. I showed, not vocal I showed cord. one of my professional singer friends the, the, like the down the throat, because she looks at her throat all the time. Like every year she has to go get the scope and just like looking for vocal nodules and stuff. Mm. And, uh, and she was like, she had some vocal nodules for the first time in her career. And, mm -hmm. you know, she was talking to me about this, like, how did you get through this and the not singing and the not talking? And like, you had to do it for so long. I only have to do this for a couple of weeks. Well, my vocal cords heal is like, well, you want to see something really scary? <laughs> and then I sent her the picture of my vocal cords, uh, pre and post cancer. And she just like, she freaked out. <laughs> oh my it's, God. It's terrifying. If you know what vocal cords are supposed to look like. I don't, but, <laughs> but I can imagine it's really terrifying. I mean, like even going through that, that's terrifying again. Like, I don't know. I'm a pianist. So that's like losing all my fingers. Yeah. 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 Also a nightmare of mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Okay. Wait, how many instruments do you play? And what are they? So saxophone, guitar, and piano? Uh, saxophone, guitar, piano, drums, bass, uh, like basically anything with strings. So like ukulele, violin, cello, any of those kinds of things. I'm learning to play the trumpet. I played a little bit of trombone when I was younger. Uh, don't love the brass family. It hurts my face. I'm not that dedicated to the sound. I don't know. It doesn't call to me like the saxophone does. Mm. Uh, clarinet, flute, uh, recorder. So like a lot of the woodwinds because they're all similar fingerings. Um... Yeah, that's probably about it. Basically a band's worth of stuff plus like a small little wind section. So in conclusion, you're a prodigy. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, that's I, really... I earned my skills. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit back and say like, you know, I was a natural at any of this stuff. I definitely put in the hours and I earned it. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, yes, you have earned it. <laughs> that's for sure. You've gone through a lot to earn it. So um, in terms of addiction when you were going through the cancer did you know that you were addicted when you were going through treatment i i've been struggling with addiction my whole life it's called oh, music okay. i had a music ah. addiction oh it's true though it's like i am obsessed with this thing and i can sit down and and do it for hours and hours and hours and remain completely focused on it and i can't do that for anything else video games i get bored after half an hour yes. you know it's like but music is the thing that like really kind of hones my attention Yes. And so I would say that I'm definitely addicted to music. Um, and then that kind of similar obsessive behavior can rear itself in other parts of my life. Like when my mind finds a drug it really likes, or when I fall in love deeply with a human being, or any of these things, I can become very obsessed and that can be dangerous. And you got to, it's, it's a learning process, right? You got to learn how your mind works and its strengths are usually the same as its weaknesses and you got to learn how to control them. Yeah. I've kind of established that like, for me, definitely me too. Like I, again, when I was doing level 10 piano, nine hours a day, and um, I kind of figured that that was the one thing I was able to be hyper-focused on. So it like, 
I am not able to focus on anything ever. Like my mind is scattered all over the place. But when it comes to music, I'm able to sit down for hours. Like, like same thing with producing. I'm kind of like dabbling in production. Definitely not your level, but I'm learning. <laughs> and it's something that I'm able to sit down for, for like 12 hours at a time and not get up and just be like super, super hyper-focused. And I, I mean, I never classified that as like, I'm addicted to it, but I mean, I guess I am kind of addicted to it given that like I think that I want to like touch on everything in the music industry, like everything. Um, and you too, given the yep. amount of instruments that you play, given yep. the amount of jobs that you do. Well, yeah. And it's just like, it's exactly, it's more like a fascination too. I think a large part of addiction is also like being fascinated with, with the feeling or something that's happening. And so like part mm -hmm. of the, the music thing is like, it's math. And mm -hmm. I see, I hear the harmony and the, the melodies and the rhythms as math, but then I'm also like learning the deeper math, like learning how to hear things in hertz now instead of notes. Like, did you know that the first note on the piano is 27.5 hertz? Who knew? <laughs> Not me. Right? Not me. <laughs> so now I'm learning like all these frequency ranges for the notes. And like, so the note no longer just has a, a letter value. It also has like this numerical value and it sits in the human range of hearing from 20 hertz all the way up to 20,000 hertz and I'm learning how to like pull frequency ranges out and stuff but there's more math underneath the math oh my god you know I, it's really cool I suck at math <laughs> I'm terrible <laughs> at math so that's not ever how I describe music but it's true it is true that like there is a lot of math involved in music and it's like it's the kind of math that I think a lot of people would like because it's like undercover math. You're, you know? you're right. And it's like I said math <laughs> and then it was like, I, I shouldn't have used math. It's logic and it's, and it's values, <laughs> but it's not it's necessarily like, like the perfect arithmetic. Combination. When you yes. think math, you think arithmetic and it's not that. You're right. It's not that. I think <laughs> no. it's like the perfect combination of the left side and the right side of your brain, just yes. like coming together and like working in perfect harmony. <laughs> I, I, Definitely agree. I think music is my primary language and I definitely see music as a language. It communicates, but oh, it yeah. doesn't communicate thought. It communicates emotion, right? It has mm -hmm. this emotional information yes. attached to the tempo, attached to the harmony, attached to the way the melody relates to the harmony. And there's something really beautiful about like that as a rep representation of like all of life, you know, the way that people relate to other groups of people and the way that we interact and move from work back to home. And there's like this breathing of, of notes, like they're almost like air molecule or people like their air molecules, like they disperse and then they condense and like this dispersion and con and condensed air is what we hear as a vibration, right? That's what we hear music as, which is really interesting. It is it's really the way interesting. That we, we've, we've organized our society the same way that our music is organized. It's true. It's absolutely true. Okay. So throughout your whole experience, what do you think is the superpower that you developed the most? Listening. Listening. Oh my God. That's a difficult one. Honestly, I took a comms class once communications course in university and we had a whole unit on listening. And I will say it was the most important unit in my It's the most important course. part of music. It's without true. Lis without listening. And like you can listen like Beethoven did. You can listen in your brain. Uh, you don't necessarily have to use your ears to listen, but um, mm -hmm. listening is definitely like people do this on purpose sometimes. And I, I think they're crazy for doing it because it was really, really hard, but it also very eye opening as they go on these silent retreats. Mm. And I uh, can't remember what the name of these things is, but there's a, there's a name for this silent meditation retreat. Yeah. My cousin's gone on a 10 day one. Yeah. So like 10 days is like, it seems like a lot to not talk. Spend four months not talking. 
you'll very much appreciate the <laughs> the benefits of listening. And like, I had friends come visit me throughout the experience and like, I couldn't talk back to them. So they would just talk at me and I loved it. And it was like, oh my God, yes, just more talking, please. <laughs> just basking in their, in their, their thoughts, their words. And that was, it was really taught me the appreciation for listening. And then extrapolating from that, I learned to listen better in my music. And like, mm -hmm. so one of the things I do on my, my Twitch channel where I make a song a week is I like to do a different genre all the time. And the chat kind of like challenges me to do different mm -hmm. genres. And so often I've never produced music in the genre before. Like I've done dub dubstep for Halloween. I'm doing a trap song this week about um, Black Friday. So just like <laughs> broke saving money. <laughs> but like I've never made trap music before. But I can listen to trap music and I can extrapolate the patterns. And I going can... Broke sting. <laughs> so funny going broke. <laughs> Saving to, money. Saving money, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maxing out a credit card to save 20%. <laughs> you know? That's amazing. <laughs> that's, the, that's the real trap. <laughs> oh, that was very punny. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is what, like, I don't, I can't take credit for a lot of these ideas. That's my chat, the community that I've built around this song a week thing, is mm -hmm. that they'll help me kind of stave off the writer's block by constantly generating ideas i have a hive mind for rhymes and i have a hive mind for like the next genre or the next topic that we should tackle should we do a lo-fi song what should it be about it should be about bacon so now i have a bacon lo-fi song <laughs> <laughs> do you release any of these on spotify not yet so they're all on soundcloud and on audius audius is like a blockchain cryptocurrency it's really cool i like it i like that stuff <laughs> uh but the plan is to put it up the 53 demos that I made over the course of 2021 uh, as a Spotify album at the end of the year. Oh my God, that is so cool. Wait, I'm so song. looking forward I've, to that. I have a whole song and it's like a diary. It's kind of cool. Like you can kind of follow through and like when certain things happened, like, you know, there's a song for it that week on the calendar. Well, that's the thing. Music literally is a diary. Like I'll listen to songs that I heard when I was like 10 years old and I'm going to, I go back into 10 year old version mm -hmm. of me and same thing from when I was like 15 years old or last year. And I like, I know that 10 years from now, I'll be looking back at songs that I listened to this year and I'll be like, Oh, Hey, like remember her 22 year old Ange. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, so it's crazy how much music can hold an experience. And that's the thing. Like I think music is, an experience more than anything else. It's, I think it's a language. It's an extension of our body. Like I love the idea of speaking music because that's also something that I often say, like I speak the language of music and I think it's a universal language. It's the one and only universal language that yep. anyone and everyone can speak. It's just in different accents, I guess, because they have like different preference of music. Um, yeah. Like I think it's definitely math talking, right? Like I like to say that music is the only language that we conceptualize in math but only understand with our emotional response mm -hmm. to it. So it's, it's very much like they say that math is the universal language. Like if you're a physicist, right? If you're a musician, yes. music is the universal language. <laughs> yes. But if you're a physicist, it's math. Um, but music is just an extension of math. math. Yeah. yeah, it's just audible math. And so I think that that's really kind of where, where it's at. Is like math by itself is the written version of the same thing. Yeah. Well, for those of you who want to learn an instrument and you suck at math, don't worry, you could still learn the instrument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's not like arithmetic math. It's, it's yeah. there's a logical resolution to things or or not, but there's definitely a grammar. We call it music theory. 
Mm-hmm. There's only mm. 12 notes. It's not like there's a billion numbers or anything like that. There's 12 notes, you know, and like only a set few combinations of those notes to create your chords and your scales and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so and then the rest don't be, don't be discouraged. It's not, it's not that complicated. <laughs> but you'll definitely understand the math part of it once you start counting one and two and three and four and for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> oh my, it makes me so happy that you count one and two and because that's what I teach my students. But a lot, I, I find the, a lot of teachers- I go teachers, the level deeper. A lot of teachers just count one, two, three, four. And then for like eighth notes, they'll be like one, two. And I'm like, just say and. <laughs> you know? I, I start, I like I teach a bunch of different instruments, but I usually bring a practice pad and a couple sticks with me to my lessons. Mm-hmm. And we spend the first 10 minutes of every lesson playing drums. Oh, cool. No matter what instrument you play, even That's a singer. That's so cool. I always want to learn to play the drums. I cannot play drums, but I, I see the use it, in it. It's not drums. It's like, it's a practice pad with some sticks. You're hitting something, right? But you're hitting something to a beat. And no matter what instrument you're playing, Rhythm is the foundation of the musical. Actually, it's not. That's a lie. I have this thing in my mind. I call it the musical pyramid. At the very, very bottom is tone. And that, that's not music. Tone can just be sound, like the tone of a hand clap or the tone of like, you know, the piano is different from the tone of my voice. The tone is the sound of the instrument. That's not necessarily music. Mm-hmm. But the very first layer above tone is rhythm. And every single thing you're going to do in music is going to have a rhythm. And that's the application of the paint. You know, that's like, the foundation of everything you're going to do. And the thing that we can always get better at as a musician, I've been playing music for 20 some odd years, you know, it's like we can always get better, better at keeping a beat, getting a deeper groove, playing with others. Like the rhythm is the thing that we suck at as humans. We're not a machine. We're not a laptop. We're not garage band. You know, we can't just like play Mm -hmm. the exact two every single time. It's not Mm -hmm. possible for us. We have to practice that. And so learning to count, learning to um, have the coordination necessary to mm-hmm. play what you say translates into the mind in a very fundamental way and can be used on every instrument. Mm-hmm. And then so after that, then we, you know, you're t- looking at our tone, rhythm, and then melody. So you're just adding a single note of information to your rhythm. And then the final, like the, the eye at the top of the pyramid, kind of like the Illuminati eye is harmony. And it's kind of elusive because harmony can actually be a chord, but it can also be like polyphony. It could be the way mm-hmm. that this melody relates to the bass melody. You know, mm-hmm. it could be two different melodies in the way that they're relating can be the illusion of harmony. Yeah. So yeah. The harmony is the weird one at the top. <laughs> it's, I like that. It's pyramid. I really like this pyramid because it's like, it kind of reemphasizes that music is a never ending learning process. Cause there's always something, there is always something to learn. Like, I don't care 100%. how experienced you are. You're still learning. Yeah. Um, I really yeah, like that it, pyramid. <laughs> it, it's the way it works though. Right. Because everything is built on top of itself. And like, mm-hmm. you know, we have tone of the sound of a tree and then, you know, we have some mm-hmm. caveman come ahead with a stick and like, Whoa. <laughs> and then he hits it twice and they're like, Whoa, <laughs> there's a pattern to it now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. So- yeah. Well, even tone though, I know that it's not technically music, but I do consider it music still just because it's a part of the music making process. That's where it begins, mm-hmm. you know? Well, so I think and- it's definitely part of the journey. And I talk about this all the time is like, what's the most important part in pop music today? It's tone, right? There's not a lot of har- melody. There's not a lot of harmony in a lot of these modern like trap songs, for example. Mm-hmm. But the tones are insane. We have like infinite tonal ability with the laptop. It can mm-hmm. synthesize 
basically any sound we can imagine. Yeah. Which is unreal. And like now, uh, like the, the latest trend is like putting Foley and all these other kinds of like found sounds on things like snare drums and hi-hats and stuff and like creating even more tonal complexity. Yeah. Like that's really cool. It is it's really interesting. Cool. It's really interesting. And that's the thing that everybody can understand. Like, even if you're not a musician, you understand tone and you've understood tone from the age of one when you had to identify the difference in tone between your mom's voice and your dad's voice. It's you true. Know? Oh we've, my God, it's we've true. Been, we've been listening for tone forever. That's something that we're just good at doing. Yeah. And like um, a lot of the research that I do in my uh, psychology classes is music, just because I like to relate it back to music. And I love, love the effects that music has on like prenatal development and then postnatal development. And as like a child is growing, because again, there's music and like, even the way that I'm speaking, my voice is not monotone, even monotone though, that is still a tone, you know, yep. but it's like, it goes up and down and all around. Like that's musical, you know? Yeah. And the heartbeat of the mother. Exactly. Rhythm, like it, it's all, it's all stuff probably why we like kick drums <laughs> that's true that's true right um, so it's kind of comforting the, the the sound of bass it hugs us we always think about like being like enveloped by bass mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of interesting so what's your favorite part about your career today like right favorite like part like right now doing like twitch songs and not having to leave my house i just played a gig in like <laughs> for uh and it was an official twitch gig for montreal it's cool. twitch montreal's official page it paid really well it was some really good exposure. Like there was a couple thousand people watching me and I made a song in half an hour. And well, I think like... It's kind of intimidating. <laughs> well, it was the first time I was nervous for a long time. As like, as a musician, you kind of get used to the, the performance element of it. You know, mm -hmm. it's part of the job. Getting up on stage and you have a metric. You can measure yourself against whether or not you played all the right notes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you can practice to the point where like you mess up one in a hundred times and you're like, eh, I'm good with that, that risk, you know, one yeah. in a hundred, I got this on stage, even if it's going to be, you know, I'm going to be nervous and all that stuff is like, odds are I'm going to do this right. Yeah. You know, and I've prepared myself for this and I can do it. Uh, but you, you can't prepare yourself for improvising a song with chat no, in, in half an hour in front of a couple thousand people. It was like probably one of the bigger concerts I've played. I couldn't see anybody, <laughs> you know, because I'm just playing for my cameras here in my little studio. Yeah. So that was weird. Uh, but you can definitely see the chat flying up and down and people yelling things at me and telling me what to do. <laughs> and like, that was interesting. Uh, but I was really nervous. I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I had no idea. And, you know, it's not something you can really prepare for. No, it's not. I mean, again, it's all improvising. But that is so cool that you're able to do that again. Like, I think it turned out okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure it turned out okay. I'm sure it turned out better than okay. I love the feeling of being nervous, though. I don't know if that's something that you enjoy or not, but I know I'd that. Forgotten. It was cool. It was, it was more like being excited with the, like, layered uncertainty. <laughs> so that's actually exactly where I was going to go with that. I remember when I was in grade 12 I was about to perform and I was like I wasn't performing piano or anything it was a poem that I was performing and I got really really nervous and someone had told me oh like just remember that like biologically like us feeling nervous and us feeling excited is the exact same feeling it's just a matter of context like you know that you're supposed to be nervous so you're feeling nervous rather than excited but it's the exact same feeling so just tell yourself that you're excited not nervous and like that has helped me so yeah. much <laughs> Yeah. So like 
I've, I'd forgotten about the preparedness part of it because usually I just get excited mm-hmm. for a gig. I get like really like, you know, I was like, let's get up there. Let's play. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but this one was like, I was unprepared and I didn't know how it was going to go. So I was nervous and it was, it's just, it was an interesting feeling. I hadn't, I hadn't felt that in a while. So that was yeah, cool. it's definitely interesting. Um, when was the last time you felt nervous about music before that? <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> I'd have to go really far back. Uh, I remember getting nervous for musicals, like when I was performing in musicals and singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was more, it wasn't even the music part of it. Like I had the songs down. It was like the lines. It was like the acting part portion that made me a little bit nervous because there's just so much talking. And that was harder for me to memorize than say just like singing a song. Really? Why is uh, that? I don't know. Because I think when you layer the the music information, my brain just it pays more attention to it, maybe emphasizes it a little bit more and it's easier for me to memorize. Mm-hmm. Same reason maybe it's easier to memorize, you know, things in nursery rhyme, <laughs> like the alphabet. Yep, that's true. This is true. Uh, Melody information is, is is a real powerful tool for causing it to stick to the mind. Yes. No, you're absolutely right about that. Um, damn. I'm like trying to think back to the times that I was nervous as well. And I think I definitely get a lot more nervous than you. <laughs> I, I, I get nervous pretty often. But... Um, you're absolutely right that it's just a matter of like, I know that I practice this and I kind of know that I can do it. And even if I mess up, like who's really going to tell, who's really going to know, you know, like it's my performance. I get to decide where it goes But when it comes to improvising and like making that music right on the spot. It it's again, it's kind of like what we talked about this at the beginning, it circles back around to this expectation that you feel like you need to fulfill, even though like, what's the expectation, you know? Yeah. Your own, it's your own expectations of yourself. And that was something I had to learn. It was like, I expected myself, if I worked hard, that I was going to, when I was, I was, I was doing it. I was opening for some really cool bands. I was playing some big festivals. Uh, and like, you know, that I had that expectation though. Mm-hmm. And when life confronts you with reality, it's that expectations versus reality meme. It's like, oh, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. just normal, you know? And like, I have limitations and this is, this is actually the way it's going to go for my life. It's not going to be the way I expected it. And Mm -hmm. you got to live with that. You got to live with it. This is the way your life is going to go. Yeah. And speaking of living with the way that your life is going to go, when you first discovered that you had cancer, was that like one of your first, like, did you ever at any moment think, okay, I shouldn't pursue music anymore. Music's not for me anymore. Or I almost gave it up. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That's when I I started rock climbing. It's it's like, I'm just going to do this. And then I, um, I took a job for a few years. As I was teaching uh, guitar and piano out of uh, a music shop mm-hmm. just before I had cancer. And um, this was right after University for Music. And uh, they got a call um, while I was getting my treatment if they had anybody who was working there who had a music degree and wanted to substitute as a classroom music teacher at a private school. Mm-hmm. And so I went and did that for a few years. And it was a nightmare. As somebody with perfect pitch, listening to a bunch of out of tune kids try and learn the saxophone and the, the clarinet and the trumpet and all that stuff. <laughs> I tried to do good. I tried. I really did. But I can't do that. It's my brain. I was leaving every day with a migraine. Okay. Part of it might have been the fact that I was in a portable and it was full of mold. But uh, like the other part of it might have been that it was, you know, <laughs> a bunch of screaming children. Well, and not screaming. They're just playing instruments, which sounds like screaming when they're just learning how to play them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you started there too, though. Someone was patient with both of us, you and me. 
I did start there too. I did. Yes. <laughs> I, um, I definitely and, get that though. I have chronic migraines, get them like twice a week. And honestly, some of my students, it's clear that they don't want to be there and their parents kind of make them be there. And they're kind of just like slamming on the piano and they don't really care. And it's difficult to make them care. And then I like end up getting a migraine from it. It's definitely. Uh, so this is where, this is exactly where I'm at. It's like, I noticed that that kind of style of education, like classroom education is really just a, a form of babysitting. Like you, mm-hmm. I had 30 kids in the class and like, there was five kids who really did want to be there and like 10 who really didn't and 15 who were just happy to be there you know just like i'm just here it's whatever i've got an <laughs> instrument let's try and figure this out they just like they don't care either way they were just fine but there was like five kids in the class that like really loved it and they really wanted to be like good at music and they like they they were gravitating towards this thing and i was like i just want to teach those ones yes. i don't want to deal with the rest of these <laughs> oh my god yes this is exactly so how this I, why I started twitch this is why i started twitch is like people who don't want to be there don't be there you know, yeah. it's like my entire audience is people who want to be there, appreciate what I know and want to learn how to do the things that I do. Yep. And it's not like learning by lecture. It's learning by doing it. Yeah. Like, you know, you're just watching me do the thing and participating when you feel comfortable to participate. Yeah. You know, no hands, no, like, you know, you don't need to raise your hand and ask a question. You just be like, do this. And sometimes I'll be like, no, that's a dumb idea. And here's why. (laughs) Right. It's like, I can treat them like human beings as opposed to like, you know, kids who are, are sacred. And like, you know, and if I tell them something wrong, I get like fired or, you know, they, they, whatever. It was not for me. No, I definitely get that. And like, I teach at a, I, mean, I teach private and I teach at a music school right now. And I like my private lessons because I get to pick and choose who I take and who I don't take. And I like taking only students who want to learn. So like speaking yep. to the students, but um, when it comes to the music school, it's like, here are your students, you have to teach them. And I'm like, they don't, they don't want to learn this. Like music is definitely, I think again, music is a universal language and you just have to find your sound. If you say that you don't like, I, I don't believe anyone who says they don't like music. I think everyone likes music. You just haven't found your sound yet if you don't, but you know, playing an instrument, particularly piano might not be for everyone. Maybe, maybe these kids want to learn drums or I know a lot of these students definitely would really benefit from drums because they're just like bashing on the piano. And I'm like, that kind of energy you, you need to play great. drums. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, everybody should learn the drums. I I know. I really want to learn. Maybe the drums. maybe people maybe people would stop clapping on the one and three at concerts. Oh 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 my god! Stop. <laughs> Biggest pet peeve that and like changing the radio like every thirty seconds or like you know if you have an aux cable and you have a friend in the front seat who's like constantly changing the music. Yes. It's like get out of my car. <laughs> I know. Like can we just get sit out. through the whole song? Especially <laughs> put on like- a song that goes from beginning to end anyone doesn't matter <laughs> yeah especially because personally i always like the bridge is my favorite part about any song i love the bridge it's like it's like the departure exactly it's the Where's essence it of the song exactly why would you change it right before it gets there because <laughs> most most simple people only want to listen to the chorus <laughs> The chorus the part is great. where I can sing along. The easy part to memorize because it repeats three times in the song. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but you know what? To each their own. Everyone has like their own process of listening to music. You have a very distinct style of listening just because you've developed a really, really good knack for listening. Um, yep. 
So that's definitely like, again, one of the most important parts about communication and not just talking about music. I'm talking about like everything communication. I think listening is the best and most important part. Like even, even as a musician, yes, it's really important to listen as a musician, but everything that I learn is from listening. It's not like I dabble and like, okay, this sounds good. This doesn't sound good. Let's listen to other artists. Let's listen to other artists' experiences. Let's listen to some YouTube tutorials. Like let's learn from other people. And that all comes from listening. So I think yeah. listening well, is really listen- important. And I think like even reading, like if you're, if you're reading she music, that's just listening with your eyes. I was, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was right about to get there. It's true. Like, again, um, I forgot what the percentage was, but in communication, like a whole chunk of our communication is nonverbal and like being able to listen to those nonverbal cues. I'm not just talking about like auditory um, listening. I'm talking about like listening with your eyes, experiencing, like really being in that moment and understanding what the message that is being delivered to you is, you know? Yeah. That's what Oprah is great at. Especially the music. (laughs) I I tell that to all my students who are like, how do you do that? How do you just like listen to a song once and know how to play it? It's like, cause I know we're middle C, C middle C, like, you know, <laughs> you can go back yeah. and check it, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I, I have these notes memorized. I don't know if I have perfect pitch. Maybe I do. Um, but like, I definitely have very, very strong relative pitch. I know where a couple of the notes are stretched across the piano and I can like use my knowledge of intervals and stuff to like place the stuff, but I'm just perceiving music differently than they're perceiving music. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm perceiving the grammar. I understand what it's saying to me and then I can just say it back. Yeah. You know? that's It's very powerful. Like I, again, I've been playing piano, I think like what, 18 years now. And I will say I get really like, I never sit down and try to like do a melody playback because I get really scared that I'll mess up, which is weird because that's a part of the music making process. You mess up. You're going to, um, ha- it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Especially to get to where you want to be. Like you got to go through Gotta go through well, a lot of mess ups. <laughs> I tell I tell this to my students all the time too. It's like the the re- reality of it is is that pros mess up too on stage. They just get back on track within an eighth note, whereas like uh, intermediate or beginner player is gonna like wait a bar or wait till the section repeats. Mm-hmm. You know, but like we're just we're making mistakes. We're just recovering really fast. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. And again, that's what I love about music. Like, there's no need for perfectionism, and I'm like the furthest thing from, I, I, I don't know. I dislike it in, in production. I, I dislike really? perfection in production. Oh yes. Yes. Me too. I thought you might like you, you got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I listen to a lot of modern music and I get bored really quickly because yes. there is no dynamic variation. There is no uh, very, it's a lot of copy pasta, you know, just copy pasting these things from section to section with, yeah. with no variation. There's, yeah. there's like zero variation in the song. Like the beat might cut out or something, or and then it comes back. Like, ooh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> ooh. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but the, the idea that there's like so much more that we can do uh, in between the perfect notes and in between, you know, the perfect idealized mm-hmm. dynamic variance that's allowed in a song like your mm-hmm. seven decibels of, of dynamic range or whatever they want in a in a professional mm-hmm. mix it's like that stuff doesn't matter <laughs> you know it's all suggestions yeah it's like listen yeah. listen to it is it does it sound good those are the rules of music it's like yes. there's all this grammar all this theory but like does it sound good if the answer is yes to you then it's done you know that's it it's yes. over <laughs> yes and 
mind you, I was, I don't remember how old I was when I was taking like um, music theory, but it's not something that I appreciated very much. <laughs> I was like, this Nobody is boring. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a boring process. Uh, Especially the way they teach it in like the conservatory or classroom mm-hmm. or stuff like that. Oh they don't, they don't teach you theory. They, sorry. They shouldn't teach you theory on paper. Yes. Right. Cause then your brain doesn't hear it. And exactly. in order for that theory to matter, you need to hear it in context. It's like learning Spanish without everybody, without anybody speaking Spanish to you. You could yeah. read it, but you would pronounce the Spanish like your native tongue. Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's like the you thing, because music ge- is a language. You would say jalapeno. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's, yes. It's jalapeno. <laughs> I no, I definitely but, agree. And I think that's exactly what the issue was because like I'd have to go a couple of times a week and like sit there on paper and I'm like, I don't like paper. I just want to play the piano. Like I really loved melody playbacks when I was doing it with my teacher. I loved like hearing the intervals and trying to understand what the intervals were. And that is still theory, but we only got so much of that experience. Like what we did in maybe like five minutes, 10 minutes, every single lesson, not even every single lesson. Meanwhile, like I had to go and I had to be like, okay, so this is the interval here. Or like, this is how you write out a cadence and et cetera, et cetera. And like that gets really boring really, really quickly. And now when I play piano I definitely use that theory that I've learned and I'm grateful for it but it's definitely it's a boring process yeah well and again you didn't realize why it was important mm-hmm. when you were learning those skills yeah because nobody taught like it, it's just such a simple thing as a music teacher to be like okay so there's these things called keys <laughs> we're gonna learn this scale which is an exercise that practices your knowledge of a key and how a key is supposed to sound All right. So we're not doing this just to learn the fingering. We're not learning this to learn C major. We're learning this so that we are starting to get an idea of how this thing called a key sounds. Mm -hmm. And then there's these things called scale degrees, you know, and that's a really important knowledge to know as well, instead of just learning the fingerings and learning the notes in a scale, which Mm -hmm. is honestly most teachers and most students. They're just learning the the exact sequence for the the purpose of learning the scale without Mm -hmm. the theoretical knowledge that it relates to a key and all of your harmony, all of your melody creation, every song you've ever heard, it's moving between or is staying to one tonal key center, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And like, that's really good knowledge to know as a kid. He's like, okay, so now I, I'm armed with why I should be doing this at least. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's no longer just a pointless exercise. Yeah, I know. What it's a scale like, is. It's an exercise. It's a, it's I yeah, it's the warm up before the performance, personally. Like it's like dancers, they always stretch before they get into it, you know? And this is kind of like yep. it's stretching your ability to listen. It's stretching your fingers. Like, are you able to play quickly? Like I again, I would not be able to play quickly unless I practice my scales over and over again. Um yep. and a lot of music schools, a lot of music teachers do not teach scales. I don't know if you know that or not. But I, I try and teach this, like if we're learning, we were uh, like, for example, I was just doing an AJR song with one of my students. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in the key of C sharp minor. It's like, well, this is a really good opportunity to learn this scale and it's relative major, mm-hmm. you know, but this is how it relates to the music that you just learned and that you really love. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So this is, this is the theory behind how they came up with this song so that when you decide you want to draw with sound, that we can do that. <laughs> that yeah. your your brain is already primed to, to know and have the skills required to make music. Yeah. And it, it's really cool because I, I really do like teaching kind of like 
music making when I'm also teaching piano. It's just like five minutes and it can be something really, really small. Like again, one of my favorite games to play with my students is like, okay, like here's a scenario. What does that scenario sound like on the piano? Mm -hmm. And that gives them a great opportunity to like get their, you know, what does this key sound like? What about this key with this key? Does that sound good together? Is that happy? Is that sad? How do I feel about this scenario? You know? And it's like, there's so many things in the workings, but it's just a game and it's so fun. Like I love playing the game. My students love the game. <laughs> one of my students had a really good one. We were going between C and F sharp, so a tritone, just like, you know, garbage sounding. And yeah. I was sitting at the left side of the piano, so like, like it's the lower playing. And yeah. he's like, what does this sound like? He's like, a T-Rex marching to eat something. I was like, that's exactly what this sounds like. Bom, 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 bom. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Exactly, exactly, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's like the worst combination of notes, but it's true. <laughs> It sounds like a T-Rex. Yeah. It sounds like exactly a T-Rex. You know what? It's associated with something. You're totally right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. All right. Um, one last thing. And I like to end like a lot, of, a lot of my interviews like this, but if there's one thing that you can tell people who are struggling with, you know, their identity with music and, um, you know, they might be going through something and they're doubting themselves, what would you tell those people? Lower your expectations, raise your average. Mm, interesting so you have your expectations of yourself and they don't really matter that much mm -hmm. um you can have standards whatever that kind of stuff but just make a lot of music if you want to get good at making music mm -hmm. is that if you get out of your way and you finish a bunch of songs each one of those songs is practice odds are that your average output for your art is going to increase mm -hmm. but yeah it's really hard to finish stuff and really hard to get into uh, a song if mm -hmm. your expectations are that it's going to be the best song it's going to be number one single and like it's really going to be hard to finish that song so try to not have that expectations mm -hmm. it's like get rid of those and finish a bunch of music and odds are by the time you finish a hundred or a thousand songs your songs are going to be pretty good yeah yeah absolutely that's like a really really good point of piece of advice because i wrote so many songs when i was 12 and 13 years old like i have over th right? 30 that I discovered. And somewhere along the way, I think when I was 14, someone told me like, these are terrible. And I was like, oh. <gasps> yeah, but you got to keep making those terrible songs so that one day yes. you can make gooder songs. And then they keep getting better and better and better. And then one day they're pretty decent. <laughs> yeah, and it sucks because like when I was 14, I was like, oh, you're right. They do suck. This isn't for me. I suck. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll never do it again. And then I never touched it again until like kind of somewhat recently, like uh, maybe a year and a half ago, I started kind of like- So there, there's the other lesson, right? Don't do that either. Just lower your expectations of mm -hmm. yourself. They're allowed to suck. When yes. you first start playing piano, you're allowed to suck. The very first singing lesson you do, you're allowed to suck. You don't have yes. to be good right away. You do have to stick with it and practice. Well, don't get me wrong. Like, again, I've been playing piano for 18 years and I still suck sometimes. Like, yeah, me too. there are days that <laughs> it just doesn't work. And that's totally okay. Like, there is going to be sucky days and you have to keep pushing through those days. Still record yourself. Still do whatever it is that you want to do because, because that's just one day closer to where you want to be. And you got exactly. it. You, it. It's impossible not to have those sucky days. You don't have the same time limits on music as you do on other things like sports that require a lot of practice early on in order to become, um, you know, decent or professional at that activity. Mm -hmm. uh, music, you can get better at your whole life. I, I've taught some students who started playing guitar in their 40s and now have rock bands and are playing in cover bands and are doing like some really fun stuff with music mm -hmm. that, you know, 
Mm-hmm. You, you just got to remember that it took them 10 years to get there and they, they started at 40 and now they're 50, but they're still enjoying it. And music's something that you can continue to enjoy your entire life. It's not like a physically yes. demanding activity, like a sport where you're going to have to retire at some yeah. point. Yeah. Music has no age, no race, no gender. Yeah. Music, music is the best. I love music. <laughs> so inclusive, right? So that's, it is so inclusive. and the best musicians I know are in like their sixties and seventies and are like, have been playing their entire life. Yeah. And like you listen to their rhythm and you're like, oh man, mm-hmm. like that's a lifetime of grooving, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And like I listen to these pianists at like 40, 50 years old and they're so amazing. They like, oh, they just improvise on the spot and it's like beautiful. And I love improvising too, but I'm not at that level just yet. But like, give me an extra 20 years and I probably will right? be. <laughs> Well, because like it, you're going to get bored of doing the same thing. So like this is yeah. why people expand their their musical horizons. It's why I started doing music production. Yeah. Right? It's because eventually you hit certain walls and instead of, you know, continuously bashing against those walls, you go find other doors. Yeah. Yeah. This is an amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Angie. It was, it was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for being so inspiring. <laughs> Thanks for hosting this. This is like a really important thing that people need to hear. The uh, the mental health aspect of music is is definitely something that we need to improve upon in our society. We almost have mm-hmm. these expectations that there is this kind of um, insanity that goes along with out creative output and and creativity. And mm-hmm. I think we need to we need to squash that that rumor because it's not easy. You can have a healthy mind and still have a healthy creative output. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's definitely something that I'm guilty of. Like I get really really scared of feeling better because I'm like, what if I'm not going to be creative anymore? And that's not true. I think I know it's something that I still feel, but I actively know that's not true. You can be happy and still be a creative person. <laughs> um, so I definitely, I agree with I you de- on that one. I definitely do think though that making art, it is important to experience pain. Yeah. It's, it's a form it of vulnerability. Perspective for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't need to stay there. <laughs> no, you don't need to stay there. And you once can, you're out of there, you can still make good music. You can still look back on that experience and pull from it when you need to without staying in that mental state. Because everybody is going to fall into those darker mental states at some point in their life. Yeah. And it's important that we we help them out of there. We have friends around us who, who are and professionals if you need that. And uh, to reach out and, you know, lean on friends. That's what they're there for. Yeah, I know that. I know, like- I, know I did. And I'm very grateful for my friends. I'm I'm really grateful for your friends too. <laughs> it's important, yeah. It's important to realize that like whatever it is that you're going through, there is another person out there going through it as well. Like you are not alone, and like you can get through it. You can you can fucking get through it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you're an artist and you've got a story to share with a passion for music, please do reach out. Whether you're just starting out or you've been in the music industry for years, I would love to hear your story. Follow me on Instagram through my handle at Music Mentality with Angie. Or email me at musicmentalitywithangie at gmail.com. Finally, a huge shout out and thank you to the amazing editor behind these episodes, Aileen Tamer. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time.